I'm thankful that you are here with us this morning. We've been in a series called Frequency. The series Frequency, the whole point to this series has been that each one of us can tune in to the right frequency and that we can hear God's voice. I was so encouraged. I got a text message this week from somebody who said, Pastor, we heard your message from Sunday about setting an appointment with God. And me and my wife just finished that appointment. We're so thankful. And I thought, man, that's such an encouragement. And it was a challenge for me to make sure I keep my appointment. All right. So we all need to keep our appointment with God. But it was a really practical message. And um, and I just want to make sure that we are on the same page as we go forward into 2018. Because I really believe and my prayer has been that we would be a church filled with people who can hear God. And I believe every believer can hear God for themselves. Amen? Um, so make the appointment and keep it. Today's message I've entitled, Call for Confirmation. If you're familiar with a confirmation hearing uh, that we might have on Capitol Hill to confirm an appointee for some place in government, uh, if you're familiar with the thought of our law system and somebody in the midst of several witnesses confirms the details of the crime that was committed. How many of you have ever served on jury duty? How fun was that? Okay, not so fun. (laughs) But I've served on jury duty as well. And in those moments, um, they want a confirmation of the facts. And so really, that's my thought is God's word is very clear about a lot of things. Everything in our life, we can find principally inside the word of God. Every question we have, whatever it is, we can find the answer inside of God's word. But there are times that we want to make sure that we're on the right track and we need to hear a confirmation. We need God to speak something to us to confirm his word. I want to show you today that he's not mad when you do this. And I think it's actually a scriptural principle that sometimes we miss out on if we're not careful. So Mark chapter 16, verse 20, it says this, And they, talking about the disciples, went out and they preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and he confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Okay, he confirmed the message. The next passage, Matthew chapter 18, this is a part where Jesus is actually quoting from the law in Deuteronomy, and he's talking about the process when you have been offended by a believer in the church. How many of you have ever been offended by someone? Everybody should, that's a hundred percent probability that we have been offended by someone. The Bible, in, in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus actually gives a prescription for how we're supposed to handle moments like that. Listen to what he says in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. This is really important. And if we're going to live biblical Christianity, we've got to understand when stuff gets uh, messy and when we get offended, we can go to that person and we can say, hey, let's talk this through. Look at what verse 16 says. But if he does not listen, how many of you have ever talked to somebody who didn't listen? If you're not raising your hand, you're that person. All right? But if, if, if he doesn't listen, the Bible says, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So here he's talking about let it be confirmed. Let the accusation or the issue, the offense that's happening, let it be confirmed by bringing two or three other people into the thing and say, again, hey, now's your shot. Let's fix this. 
Listen to what it continues to say. Verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the whole church. What? You can just scratch that out. I'm sure they didn't mean to put that in there. I'm just kidding. Here it says, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Those are two bad dudes in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those who were just not part of the body. Okay, They weren't part of what was going on. So in essence, if you have any Catholic background or if you've ever heard this phrase, this is excommunication. This is, you can't come back here. If you're going to choose to live in sin, you didn't work it out with me, you didn't work it out with witnesses, which confirmed the details, then we come to the place of if you're not willing to work it out, somebody's got to leave. So you say, whoa, pastor, what is this about? Hearing the voice of God. Well, we're talking in Matthew about what he says here, that not only was the message of the gospel confirmed by miraculous supernatural signs in the earlier passage I read. But now when offense comes, we don't simply just let it happen or let people off the hook. We try to work it out. This is a marriage. If you don't realize that it's high time you do, this is a marriage and we are not about divorce. Okay. So in the body of Christ, we want to be clear about what this looks like to be a biblical believer. So then the question is, how do we call for confirmation? If we feel like we've heard something from God in our quiet time, we set the appointment like we did last week. Um, I told you that we just want you to do baby steps. We don't want you to make a commitment today. It goes back even to like the giving idea. If you've never dropped $5 in the offering, don't make a pledge in your head. I'm going to write a check for $1,000. You take baby steps to get to where you're going. So the whole thing about setting an appointment with God is if you can't set them for 365 days, set them for one day this week. And just take the next step and the next step. And you'll see that you grow. So in this, we're talking about confirmation and how we ask God to confirm his word. I want you to go with me to Judges chapter 6. We'll have the verses on the screen for you briefly. I'll read from a different translation this morning. But in this passage, it'll be the New King James Version. But I want to talk to you about a man named Gideon. We've maybe heard that story before about how the Lord helped him and things like that. We may have heard some detail about a fleece that God, he asked God to confirm his word. We're going to walk through that story this morning and find some details for what it looks like for us to be tuned in to the right frequency. Now, in your quiet time this week, in your appointment, if you already don't have a plan, let me give you a plan. Read Judges 6 and Judges 7, those two chapters. If you can do that this week, it would be an encouragement to you, I think. So in Judges chapter 6 and 7, it says that the angel of the Lord came and he sat under a tree and he began to talk to Gideon. Now, most of the references that we find in the Old Testament and most theologians, those are people who study like the ancient text of the Bible. Whenever this phrase, the angel of the Lord appears, we believe and understand it to be a precursor, okay, of Jesus Christ. It would be that God sent the angel of the Lord who came down is a divine being. He's sitting there and he's underneath the tree. He's waiting for his appointment with Gideon. In this moment, 
he starts to talk to Gideon. And in Judges chapter 6, the angel of the Lord phrase happens four times. And this is not the only place. So whenever you see he with the capital H, you can understand it to be the Lord, our God. Okay, this is, this is something important for you to know. So Judges chapter 6, verse 16, we're going to start there. It says, and the Lord, this version capitalizes it there, said to him, surely I'll be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Wouldn't you like a guarantee of victory? So here, the Lord is sitting underneath a tree, going to talk to Gideon, and he says, I'll be with you, and you are going to defeat the Midianites as one man. That means it's, it's going to happen. Verse 17, then he said to him, capital H, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you, capital Y, who talk with me. Verse 18, don't depart, do not depart from here, I pray or I beg until I come to you and I bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. If you are listening with your spiritual ears this morning, this passage of scripture can be so rich. I thought about it, we could even use it in the phrasing of the offering God will wait for you to get what you need and come back to him. If you're away from him and you need to come back to him, he will wait until you come back. He's always ever pursuing. There's so much depth in just this one little place. But anyway, so the Lord, he's come to earth. He's talking to Gideon underneath a tree. And then Gideon says, hey, hey, I'm not sure if you're it Let me go get an offering and I'll come back. Now, this didn't offend God. You have to understand, God didn't say, what? Who do you think I am? I will not wait on you. I am better than... He didn't have that response. Let me go and prepare an offering for you. And God says, I'll wait. I want you to get this in your spirit. God waits for you. And he's always ready for you at any point that you're ready for him. So I want to stop there for just that second and let you understand when he says, I'm going to go get an offering, this is not drive-through days, microwave days, or anything of the such. The Bible in the next few verses says he goes and he gets a goat, kills the goat, prepares the goat, and then shows back up. So we're talking, God is sitting under the tree waiting on Gideon for quite some time. So I just want you to understand that. Verse 19 says this. So Gideon went in, he prepared a young goat, unleavened bread with an ephah of flour, the meat that he put in a basket. He then brought broth in a pot and he brought them out to him, capital H, under the terebinth tree and he presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Verse 21 says, Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed from his sight. Now, I don't know about you, but if you laid some meat on a rock in front of an angel and fire came out and burnt it up, I'd be like, yeah, you're the guy. I think so. That's the sign I was looking for. 
But it doesn't stop there. Gideon continues to pursue this thought of needing to confirm that it's actually God. Verse 22 says it really well. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And as if that wasn't enough, go down to verse 36. He asked for another sign, and this doesn't make God mad either. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, and as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. Let me let you in on a little bit of this context. A threshing floor would be a place that had a roof on top of it of some sort and it probably had open walls with a roof there and they would thresh out the wheat. That means they would by hand before machines and stuff, they would take the bundles of wheat and they would hit them against these posts and they would begin to what they call thresh out the wheat and all the wheat kernels would fall. So he is in a covered space. You have to understand this. And he says, I'm going to take a fleece and I'm going to put it on the threshing floor that's under this roof and it's dry on all the ground. Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Verse 38, and it was so. When he rose early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece together and he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. All right, so we're at number two. Fire out of a rock burned up the sacrifice he brought out. Now under the roof, and I, I actually had a little bit of a thought in my head, and I thought, I wonder if Gideon prayed this out loud, and maybe his wife was like, honey, please, did you not see the angel? Let me just pour this water. No, it was God who did this, right? So he says in this prayer, God, I need you to show me one more time. He wrings out the dew from the fleece, and it is a bowl full of water. The point of all of this is, as we continue, God is willing to confirm his word to you. He's, the, the scripture is very clear. He's not a God of chaos or disorder. He's not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace, of strength. He wants to walk you through this life with faith and not with fear. God wants to do something to show himself to you. And I think that you ought to put him to the task. When you feel and sense that God has spoken something directly to you, whether it's through his word, through a message, through a song, whatever it is, and you sense that God has said something to you, then you ought to respond to it. But if you ask for confirmation, he'll never deny you. So he rings out a bowl full of water. He says, to, he says to God in verse 39, Gideon says, don't be angry with me, but can I ask you just one more thing? Let me speak just once more, he says. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on the fleece, but on all the rest of the ground, let there be dew. Verse 40, it says, and God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So you've got to believe this concept and understand that God is okay with you asking him for a sign. Now, it's within reason. 
Because here's the deal. I can ask God for the sign of a million dollars in my bank account, but that's far-fetched and probably not going to happen. God will confirm his word in other ways, but we've got to understand when we look at something like this, we've got to understand that God is okay. He doesn't want us to be concerned about whether we think it's just us speaking or whether we're going by our own feelings or the temptation of the moment or whatever. God wants you to know that it's him and wants you to be okay with this. So it's not just okay to call for confirmation. It's biblical. Later on in this passage, I'm not going to read much further, but you can fill in the blanks in your reading this week. Gideon calls for an army of Israel to come to fight a battle. So in Judges chapter 7, I won't read any portion there, but he he calls 32,000 men. They respond. So he's probably feeling high on the hog, like, hey, this is going to be great. I'm going to be able to uh, defeat whoever stands in my way. These Midianites, we're going to get rid of them. But God speaks to him and says to him, you know what? If you beat them with 32,000, I feel like you'll feel like it's your, your glory, your credit. So this is pastor's paraphrase, but he essentially says, okay, we've got to whittle these down. He gives Gideon this instruction. And I bet there are some people who would probably walk away from the military today if a colonel or a captain or someone came out and said, hey, which one of y'all are scared? If you're scared to go to battle, you can go home. We'll pay your way. Everything's good. Go right ahead. He lets them go, and Gideon, here's something really important, guys. Every step that God spoke to Gideon, he took with faith, and he obeyed. So, when he speaks, you need to obey. At this moment, when he says, if anyone's afraid, you can go home, 22,000 people leave the battlefield and hightail it out of there. So he's left with 10,000. And God says to him, Gideon, you know what? I still, I, I, I think this is gonna be all on you. You're gonna have this attitude and this approach. Let's whittle this down a little bit more. So God says, there's still too many. Go down to the river and every man who laps water like a dog, set him over to the side. So Gideon's gotta be thinking, great, we're gonna get rid of the weirdos. Like all the guys who are like lapping up the water like a dog, we're gonna get rid of them. Those are the guys he ends up with. There's only 300 of them to fight this giant battle. So he sets them to the side. And I'm guessing in my mind, there would have been a temptation for Gideon to be like, God, are you really serious about this? Like 32,000 and I got 300 left and they're the weird ones. (laughs) God will use a motley crew. Amen. So... He goes down and he actually says, he's, he's having a conversation with the Lord and God says to Gideon, hey, tonight when everybody goes to sleep, I want you to go into the camp of the Midianites. I want you to sneak in and I want to give you an encouraging word. So he sneaks into the camp of the Midianites and when he gets there, the Bible says that there was a man who was given a spiritual dream the night before. He's standing around a bonfire, a campfire, and he's talking to his buddies. And he said, I had this dream about this loaf of bread that rolled down the hill. It hit my tent and then it went over everything else. And they must've been like, bro, what are you smoking? Like, what is going on? But in this moment, someone responds and says to him, that means God. God's with Gideon. That, that loaf of bread is the army of Israel and it's about to wipe us out. 
So God gives victory even in these moments. And that guy, the, the officer in the, the soldier in the army of the Midianites basically says, we're going to lose this battle. I hope that you're getting this when we say that God will speak to you, but not only will he speak to you, he'll speak to you over and over and over again until you get it into your thick skull. Now, my, I'm preaching to me too, okay? Don't take that offensively. Each one of us has a really thick skull when it comes to certain things, and we just don't get it sometimes. And God patiently walked with Gideon through multiple confirmations to get him to the place of knowing that it's God. He's so good like that. And this is not for special people. I, I just got to tell you, Gideon is a screw-up. He's, he is filled with fear in moments, but then filled with faith and he's testing God. He's just like you and I. He's not some special guy with an anointing that's gonna be like, oh no, this guy is way different and I can never be like him. No, he's just like you. So this is important for us to think about that confirmation is available for each and every one of us as believers. But the bigger step is this, and I challenge you with this. Obey what you hear. I think, um, I think it's easier said than done. Everything I say from this platform is easier said than done. Everything that's in God's word is easier said than done. But we have to walk through this life with that, with that, um, with that understanding inside of us that as we hear from God, we must obey. We then become responsible for what we know. So if you are living in obedience to God's word and God is speaking to you, I would strongly encourage you, don't wait. Obey quickly. I try to teach my kids that now. I'm sure some other parents in here are trying to teach their kids that or still trying to reinforce that. There are probably thoughts in the parents' hearts of the college students that are here that they have the same experience. We all have a temptation to not obey because sometimes it's fun to not obey, right? Am I by myself up here? Well, I am, but you know what I'm saying. Am I by myself? No, it's fun sometimes to disobey. But God's word is so clear. And he says, if you will obey me, I'll see you through this. That's the challenge that we face. So let me give you three easy questions that you can ask when you're looking for confirmation of something that God says, okay? So question number one is this. Does it line up with the Bible? Now, I shared this with some of my students this past week. Um, there's, there's this idea that someone at some point comes to a pastor and says, hey, you know what? God told me to divorce my wife. No, he didn't. <laughs> it doesn't line up with the word of God. You got to work it out. You got to do everything in your power. You got to go forward in this sort of way. So does it line up with the Bible, his principles, with God's principles, with his character? God's voice will never disagree with his word that's already been given to us. So we've got to say, hey, wait a second. Is this somewhere in the Bible that it says that this is not okay or this is okay? And then dive into that. Listen to what happens in Matthew chapter 19 to prove this point out. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying to him or asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? 
And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Listen to, and we'll, we'll talk about divorce. I understand it's a tough subject. I know that there are people who have experienced divorce in this room, children who, are, who have lived through that too. We'll talk about that. We don't shy away from the tough topics, but here's the thing. God hates divorce because it hurts people. He doesn't hate divorced people. You're not a second-class citizen because you experienced something traumatic that, that you walked through. And with God's help, you can walk through and have an incredible life in the future. So we don't treat you as second-class citizens. I don't think anybody who calls themselves a Christian ought to. But the reason why we talk about this is in this moment, they're trying to pin Jesus down and get him to kind of argue the point with them. And he says, wait, have you read the Bible? So does it line up with the word of God? I said this, but I say it from my heart. We don't believe that there is any second class citizen in the kingdom of God. Everyone is valuable. Everyone has a purpose. Just because you walk through something that hurt doesn't mean that it's changed you forever for the worse. It can change you for the better. Amen? So we need to understand that it's not at all that he hates divorced people. He really It hurts his heart because it breaks people. We've got to understand that's who he is. So let me say this to you. Don't ever say that you have a word from God if you can't find something in the scripture to back it up. And I'm not talking about a single verse. I'm talking about the principles of the word of God because he will not lie. He will not disagree with himself. He's not schizophrenic. He's not bringing something new to the table that's never been spoken before. He said, I worked really hard with all these thousands of people. I put 66 books together on the table with more than 40 authors over 1,500 years of time to explain to you my love and my plan for you. Have you checked it out? That's, that's really the point. Have you checked it out? So let me say this. The Bible will never contradict itself, but your interpretation of the Bible might contradict the entirety of the word of God. So it's got to line up with his word. It's got to line up with his character. It's got to line up with his principles. So if you feel like God says something to you, maybe so simple as you put some money in in the bucket for Red Cross or something, and you feel that like pull on your heart, and you think to yourself, yeah, I'm going to drop some in the bucket or whatever. I'm going to do something good. In that moment, that's not the devil speaking to you to do that, to offer a meal to someone who's hurting, to give a blanket to someone who's homeless, to offer anything. That is, there's never any evil in that stuff. So we know that that's God, but there gets, we get into this area of our life where there are places that we have to check and say, God, wait, is this, is this really you? And a lot of times it's not comfortable. Just like I said, obedience is not easy. This is not comfortable either. So the second question is this. Does godly counsel agree? Here's what people do. This is what I'm guilty of. All of us have done this at some point in our life. Okay. We say, hey, you know what? I want to know what you think. Will you tell me what you think about this? And we talk to our friends, we talk to those who might know us you know, pretty well, and we just throw it out there and say, hey, I'm thinking about this, what do you think about it? And we do that, but godly counsel is different than that. Godly counsel in its simple definition is people who really know God, 
and know you. Who really know who God is and even know the details of your life and know you. So we don't just go to anybody, but we go to those who are mature believers. People who know us and who have walked through life with us. I, I am thankful that I have people like that in my life. And I can ask my brothers and I can say to them, hey, do you think I'm crazy? And they will say, yes. Hey, do you think this is God? Yes, I think he still wants you to do this, but this is crazy. It's the same thing of coming here to this church. We came here to this church almost six years ago. When we came here, people thought we were crazy, but godly counsel said otherwise. My wife and I had a a moment where we knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God was calling us here. And when that happened, we asked for confirmation. And when we talked to those who were godly in our life, who knew us, knew our capability, knew our weaknesses, knew all of that stuff, we found a resounding yes all the way through every one of those confirmations. So it's possible. And you say, maybe as a teenager, a college student, well, what is this good for? Listen, God cares about your future. He cares about what college you go to and what spouse. My God, he cares about the spouse you marry. He cares about every detail of your life. So ask for confirmation. And let me just stop here and say this. If mom and dad don't approve, God don't approve. That should have been louder. He's already married. All right. If, if mom and dad don't approve, God don't approve. Listen to me, boys, ladies. All right. I'm serious. God always works through authority and he, he loves using those who are in authority in your life to help lead you and guide you and grow you. So I'm going to tell you one last time because she told me I needed to. If mom and dad don't approve, right, then God is not approving. So please be careful. Your life is so valuable. You probably didn't wake up this morning and look yourself in the mirror and say that to yourself. But regardless of whatever job you have, regardless of whether you're retired or not, regardless of whether you're a parent, a grandparent, whatever scope or style, whatever place you are at in your life, you are valuable to your creator and he's got a plan and a purpose. So why not seek out his advice for stuff like this, right? So listen to what Proverbs 12 says to back this up about godly counsel. Verse 15 in chapter 12, it says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. That means you stupid if you don't listen to advice. Okay? Let me just help you. Proverbs 19, verse 20 and 21 says this. Again, listen to advice. And accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God's going to have his way, and he wants to do it the easy way. He wants to do it with you and your participation all the way through. So it says here, the purpose of the Lord will stand. And the, the last verse in that segment is Proverbs 24, 6. It says this, For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. We've got to understand that this is a point that's proven throughout Scripture. If you've ever read something in the Old Testament and you've heard stuff about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, or you ever heard about a split that happens in that fashion, it happened because a guy who was the king's son chose to not do this. His name was Rehoboam. Bless his heart. His, 
And this happened because he sought the counsel of his friends and he chose not to listen to the counsel of the godly ones who were the counselors for his father. He got around his friends and he said, hey, what do you think I should do? And they said, you should do it this way. And he said, great, that sounds good. And then he, he was talking about the godly counselors who his father had with him. And in that moment, they gave something that was contrary. So rather than following that and going the hard path, which would have been more rewarding, he goes the easy route and says, hey, buddies, let's go party it up. What ends up happening is they split the kingdom of Israel and it then becomes the northern and the southern kingdom. And it's all because someone didn't listen to godly counsel. So look for counsel in your life, not approval. Don't be that guy. Don't be Rehoboam. Don't be the person who is just looking for someone to pat them on the back and walk forward into the future. Be the person who thinks through the situation, considers what God's word says, considers what those who are godly, mature believers say, and then you can move on to number three. Number three is this question. Do I have peace? These three things that I wanted to share with you today, uh, these questions are questions that you can ask yourself in any moment, in any decision that you make. God created you with a gauge inside of you to know whether you have peace or not. Pull up Colossians chapter 3 on the screen. Look at what it says in verse 15. And the peace of Christ, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and I love this, and be thankful. Stop complaining. That's a good, I mean, I could just say that and we could go home. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If you've ever watched a baseball game and you understand what an umpire does, this is the word that Paul is choosing in the Greek when he writes, let the peace of Christ umpire your heart and help you be led and guided in the place that you should be. His peace is that thing. So let God's peace tell you whether this decision that you're facing is safe or whether you should get out of the situation. God always leads through faith and never fear. Philippians 4, verse 17, it says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He used the, the phrase in Colossians to umpire your heart, literally to rule, to, to call it out, or to say, this is where you should go. In this passage, when he says guard, he says it in a militaristic way, like a garrison of an army. Not just one guy, or not just, you know, taking a, a little tiny bubble and putting it over top to guard you, but this is that you will be encamped around your life and guarded it will guard your heart and your mind. And here's the deal. It surpasses understanding. Not godly counsel, but sometimes there's just a, are you sure about this? Because I feel this is crazy, but I really feel like God says do it. Then step out in faith and take that step. We've got to be able to do this. In this moment, you've already noticed we've had a transition in our service, but we're going to have one more worship song. I want you to think about these questions today because I don't know you individually. I don't know what the decision is that you might be facing. You might be in a place where you actually regret having taken a step that you know wasn't God's will. 
Whatever it is that God's speaking to you, he wants to help you. That's what he's here for. He's a God full of forgiveness. He's full of love. He's full of grace. And he's full of truth and correction. And he wants you to walk in the way that pleases him. So in this next moment, if you would, would you stand with me? The worship team is going to sing one last song. And as they do this morning, I just want to challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me as a result of this message? Maybe there's something else completely unrelated to what we've talked about, but you're burdened in your heart. As soon as they begin singing, you can step out to these prayer stations on the left and the right. You don't have to come up to the front. We won't call out your name and tell people, but we have people who are moving to that direction right now. They'll be there to pray with you. And if you need prayer for any reason, for your faith to be strengthened, you've got issues in your finances, if it's an area of your family and you just want somebody to pray with you about whatever it is, even if it's God's direction for something, all you have to do is just step out briefly, tell them what you need prayer for, and we'll pray for you. And then at the close of this song, we'll be dismissed. But I just want to pray with you really quickly. Would you close your eyes? Holy Spirit, I've prayed over this message as you've led me through it and these questions. I've asked them about the things in my life. And today I pray for every believer that's here. And those who are here today would hear this message and let it be applied to their life. Lord, if there's someone here today who's not on a firm foundation, who doesn't have the faith that they know they ought to with you, I pray today that they would give up control and let you have their whole life, their heart, their soul, everything. Holy Spirit, draw every person in this place that needs prayer. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the shame of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious.